0: Hello and welcome to another episode of A Study in Granada, a biweekly podcast where I, Mike Knoll, a fan but not expert of the Sherlock Holmes canon and the 1985 Granada television series starring Jeremy Brett, have hoodwinked my friend and <laughs> colleague Jackson Eflin into watching them with me.
1: Hi, I'm Jackson. I'm a casual novice of Sherlock Holmes and a Peter Trevelyan appreciator.
0: <laughs> All right. So you liked Peter?
1: He's a decent character, and he's very pretty, and I have a fondness for people who should be successful but are kept down by the stretchers of capitalism.
0: There you go. Uh, this week, we are getting into The Resident Patient. This one's a tough one, gang.
1: And I would argue that it's not necessarily a bad episode. It's definitely one of the ones I had to stretch to fill the 15-minute time bracket. The amount of there's to talk about is maybe less than there normally might be. But i got things.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I started referring to these episodes as the 50-minute problem because they had a very short story where somebody shows up, tells them everything. Holmes goes to a place and is like, well, I'm going to write a telegram. And then, oh, here's the answer to my telegram. I'll tell you everything. Mm-hmm. And they have to make that into a 50-minute episode. And they choose the wrong ways of doing it this time.
1: I don't know. I think there are some ways which they're successful. But let's just summarize the whole thing real fast, just to sort of get that out of the way, and then we can get into the pros and cons.
0: Normally, we would do, you know, a little bit of the synopsis and then have talking points, and in this one, it's legitimately just a person talking to them for a long time. They go look at something, and then they've solved it. We don't need to go in-depth, so I'm just going to breeze through the synopsis as quickly as I can. So we open with Holmes and Watson at a barbershop, being Holmes and Watson. You are sitting there
1: boiling with indignation because you have been forced to leave the warmth and comfort of 221B by the ardor of Mrs. Hudson's spring cleaning.
0: And on their return to Baker Street, Holmes and Watson find Dr. Percy Trevelyan waiting in the living room. He tells them that two years ago, while beginning his career as a physician, he was desperately short of money. A rich man by the name of Blessington came and proposed him a strange deal. He offered to settle the talented but poor doctor in luxurious lodgings and surgery. In exchange, the young man should accommodate him watch over his health and give him three quarters of his earnings. This agreement worked perfectly till the day Blessington was driven mad with terror by the news of a burglary. He was only just his usual self again when two so-called Russians supposedly come to consult Trevelyan managed to sneak into the resident's bedroom. When he discovered their intrusion, he burst into tears and begged Trevelyan to go and fetch Sherlock Holmes, his last hope. There's only one person who can help me now. So Holmes rushes to Blessington's, but the man claims he doesn't have a clue about the two intruders and their motives. Exasperated by this blatant lie, Holmes leaves abruptly his would-be client. The next morning, a telegram calls him back to Blessington's house. The resident patient has been found hung in his bedroom. Holmes concludes from a close examination of the room that the dead man has not committed suicide. Three men were present in the bedroom. They tried Blessington and sentenced him to death for a crime which Holmes finds out thanks to an old newspaper cutting. Some 15 years ago, Blessington, whose real name is Sutton, had robbed Worthington Bank with the help of four other burglars. Then he sold his accomplices to the police. One of them, guilty of murder, was hanged. The others were sentenced to 15 years in prison. Once they were released, they took revenge on the traitor. Holmes fails in his attempt to put them under arrest, but later on, they all drown in the sinking of the Nora Crane. Wretch as he was, he was still living under the shield of British law. And I have no doubt, Inspector, that we shall see... But though that shield may fail to guard, the sword of justice is still there to avenge.
1: There's two big important things that happen entirely off screen in this story.
0: Well, like we open with a a weird scene of Blessington having a, and this is original, I, I tried to watch this once before in preparation for this episode, and it just like, I got really confused at one point, and it was very late at night, so I just went to bed And it's that in the dream Blessington has, he's being called Sutton. And then he comes downstairs, and there's just four dudes and a coffin. And they open the coffin, and he's in it. And then he wakes up, and then nobody's named Sutton anymore in the episode. (laughs) That which, that's a thing that they added for the episode, that dream sequence thing.
1: And ostensibly, it's to, you know, create the mystery of who's Sutton? But because they're saying it in this creepy, echoing voice, you're not sure what's being said for a while? Sutton... or at least i wasn't so i kind of didn't register that as a word that mattered until the time when you said
0: it just now it sounds like he's being called which i mean he is but there's no context beyond just he gets up out of bed because somebody's yelling this name that doesn't even seem like it's his name if i were in a house full of people and i started yelling a random name people were going to come looking anyway to see what the hell was going on
1: Yeah, it's like if you set your friend up on a blind date and you told them that the guy's name is Mark, but you don't actually know anybody. You're just, like, faking it for a convoluted scheme, but you walk into a coffee shop and shout Mark, and then a Mark stands up and they wind up getting married. It's like that.
0: Hey, uh, so that's a wrap on A Study in Granada. Jackson and I are going to go write that rom-com.
1: Oh, that's that's a plot of Friends. That that
0: just happens. Oh, okay.
1: But then we move on to a new scene that wasn't in the story where Holmes and Watson are having a very intense barbershop conversation.
0: Yeah, so the story opens with basically Watson just being bored. i would bring this up because it made me laugh. And Holmes is like, hey, you want to go for a walk? I think he calls it like a ramble around London, or like a short ramble or something like that. And Watson's like, yeah, that sounds great. And then they go on a walk for three hours, literally three straight hours of just walking around.
1: I get where you're coming from. But on the flip side, I've been on walks with people and they're like, oh, gotta stop every five steps, gotta
0: catch this Pidgey. So yeah. I get it. But I mean, they—I don't know how to break this to you. Pokemon Go wasn't invented in the 1800s.
1: What? But yeah. how do
0: they get through life? Solving mysteries,
1: <laughs> I guess. Whereas here, they're instead in a barbershop. Holmes is tapping this rhythm. Watson is deducing from this that Holmes is bored or has something on his mind. And Holmes does say, "Oh no, I was figuring this concerto." But then he does say, "Well, maybe I can't kind of was bored." And then they walk home
0: arm in arm I want to get back to this Watson thing because we've talked a lot about Watson getting better at the deduction and kind of trying to prove that he is good at it and this is a great scene for it and just the way that he draws inferences the way Holmes would my dear Watson however did you deduce
1: that you left our rooms in some haste you are without either your
0: gloves or your cane Holmes seems very pleased by all this go on and Watson looks absolutely elated Like, I nailed it! I did it! Hole in one! And then Holmes basically drops the, except you are entirely wrong, of course, and then goes through this entire thing, and the devastation of Watson. Like, this, this, no, I was so close, no, no! God!
1: (laughs) As always, David Burke's genial smile, the whole thing is a delight, and Uh it's so sad to see him crushed like that.
0: And then, I think right at the end, Holmes does say that, but you were right about one thing. Nevertheless, there is an element of truth in what you say.
1: But ah! <laughs> and it's like, ha
0: ah, Like, the, the, the silver lining.
1: I want to uh, point out they're at a barbershop. Watson's getting a haircut, but Holmes is there to hang out.
0: Yeah, and he's wearing a hat, like, very firmly has a hat, almost down to his ears. Like, that was just a thing that you were allowed to do back then, just go hang out. And he was not, like, sitting off to the side. You know, like, in the Andy Griffith show, everybody hangs out at the barbershop, but there's, like, chairs at the side of the room where they sit. It's not like, like, Holmes is sitting in a barber's chair. Like, he's taking up a barber's seat here.
1: Yeah. Oh, let's be fair, are you going to tell Sherlock Holmes to get out of a seat if you don't have to?
0: Granted, he'd probably find some dark secret of your past and ruin you. <laughs> or it'll turn out you committed murder somehow.
1: I really like the idea of Holmes being a petty detective. Like, I don't want to give up my seat. Hmm. You robbed a bank three years ago.
0: I mean, that's pretty much the premise of BBC Sherlock. Oh wow, you're not wrong. I I take it back. I don't want that. Um So they do head home and they see a cart outside, and I like this scene as well because in the story Holmes you know runs through the ah yes he's a doctor but only recently in practice and da 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 like runs through the whole litany of things and watson has a brief like in the text of like of course i'm i was familiar enough with my friends methods to see this and this and this and watson kind of points out the inferences that holmes made and i like in the episode they like back and forth kind of the way that mycroft and sherlock did
1: a doctor a general practitioner as i've seen not been long in practice or had much to do come to consult us i fancy lucky we came back
0: back if the two of them together are like ah yes you've noticed this ah yes and of course you've noticed this watson's good at it
1: and like sure it's not like a deep complicated crime type thing but it's enough that watson can get by at these like low dc
0: encounters which is really cool we talked in the naval treaty about having watson's interiority making him dumber Like the idea of him being dumber because he can't think like, oh, well, this is actually a pretty simple answer. This is what I think because we need Holmes to give the big reveal. And in the same way with the stories, Watson being like, oh, yes, of course, I was familiar enough with his methods to do this and this and this almost seems like the, yep, that's that's what I thought too. Whereas in the show, having them do this kind of, intent, like, a two-person act like this is more of, like, Watson actually does understand and has internalized some of these methods.
1: Also, speaking of things he's internalized, Watson gets to be a doctor a little bit. The man waiting for the a doctor who has published a monograph on nervous lesions, and Watson's super excited to meet this person. And this oh. guy's like, wait, someone else read my book? Monograph.
0: Drink yeah i love this scene and holmes just sits there kind of amicably grinning as they're basically geeking out about medicine which i like the idea of he's just letting dr watson have this like clearly this is a person that watson admires in a way or admires their work and so holmes just kind of lets them have this
1: aren't you the author of a monograph upon obscure nervous lesions yes but i so seldom hear of the work i thought it quite dead by no means my hobby has always been the study of nervous disease I should, of course, like to make it an absolute speciality. But a man must take what he can get first. And I like that Watson gets this chance to show that he has a life outside of Sherlock Holmes in crime. He's still interested in medicine. He's still learning about updates in the field.
0: And he's well-read. Yeah. Holmes, you know, has all these things that he reads. Like, he's written monographs on deciphering codes and mushrooms and i'm pretty sure there's one about pipe tobacco later on that he talks about like all these monographs watson's kind of he's a doctor it's like inherently well read we don't rarely get evidence that watson is very knowledgeable about particular topics
1: but the way they frame it isn't like this is the only monograph he read he happens to have read this one that they're meeting and so that implies he's read many things so it's not like exactly
0: like a weird coincidence Prissy Trevelyan tells them of how he met Mr. Blessington, how he came to come under his patronage. Is that probably the right word? Yeah, that's probably a good way to put it. The practice he set up and then the burglary that set Mr. Blessington a titter so that he basically turned the house into a fortress. Like, they put bars over the windows, added locks to the doors. Like, he basically just made this into a fortress that nobody could get into, seemingly because he was afraid that they might get burgled. This
1: is true of both the episode and the story, but Trevelyan gives a long explanation of how this all came to be and we don't need it no it could it's just be- so long like it's, so it's about a page in the story it's about six minutes of this 50 minute episode that basically boils down to I have a eccentric patron I live in the house that he runs and I pay him three fourths of my salary but he
0: covers all the expenses for the house and runs the staff and so forth even in the story it gets too long like there's this the scene where he meets Blessington and Blessington offers him money is written out at length with like all the dialogue of it where in other stories we get like Mr. Blessington came to me and offered me this deal and when we get dialogue like in Copper Beaches, for example, it is to set up how creepy and odd the Copper Beaches situation is. Here it's just like, this is a weird situation, but nothing came of it. He he did right by me. As I've said, I feel like Conan Doyle senioritis showing again of when you have to write a paper and you need to add like three paragraphs, you just kind of start like, oh yeah, here, I'll just add in a bunch of stuff here in the middle that doesn't matter. Like I'll fluff it by adding a lot of dialogue to this scene.
1: Although, one thing the episode does that you don't get as much from the story, you see the transition from Trevelyan's old office, which looks like one room and he's wearing a blanket and fingerless gloves and it's kind of dark and dingy, to his new office, which is beautiful and well-lit and has nice furniture and he's wearing a nice suit. The
0: walls are this lovely salmon color. That's a thing where if it hadn't been in the story, I would have given the show credit for doing that scene. Like in Dancing Men with the Cubits, where they take the hitherto unseen relationship part of it and they put that in the episode to the episode's credit, in this one, the story hadn't had that scene in it, and they had put that scene in. And I'd be like, okay, cool. They're fleshing out this backstory thing. That works. But because it was in the book, almost word for word the same, they put it in the show. It's like, okay, I mean, they're just putting in every scrap of the book that they can to get to fifty minutes. Basically, if they hadn't had to do it, I would have given them more credit for it.
1: And they could have theoretically filled that time with something else by accelerating the plot, having less interstitial scenes or you know, scenes of characters walking but changing out of clothes or whatever. But they didn't give us any depth of personality like introducing us to this one page who is responsible for the crimes
0: yeah or like shorten that scene and give us maybe another scene of percy trevelyan trying to get a medical career going the types of patients he's trying to get or like people of the caliber that he wants to treat come into his office and kind of sneer at it and maybe then leave and don't come back
1: or of him in his new office just treating patients and showing that he's good at his job. He tells us he is, I believe him, but it'd be cool to see medical practices of 100 years ago being practiced.
0: And I think that that's just, to a larger point, this episode, because there's, I made a note at one point that there's a scene of Holmes... I think it's when Holmes is looking around the room later. There's a point where I actually kind of like, not looked at my watch, but I wanted to have a watch on so I could look at it to be like, how long is this scene? They stretch every scene about, like, up until it's like, okay, it's going to break if we stretch it any farther, and then then that's where they cut.
1: Longer sequences do give us some really good acting from Patrick Newell, who plays Mr. Blessington, Mm -hmm. and who also played Lestrade a year later, and was in another Sherlock Holmes thing 20 years before
0: this. Now, Jackson, I'm sorry, who does he play in a year? Oh, sorry, Lestrade. He plays Lestrade <laughs> here. Inspector Lestrade. And then actor, you know,
1: he's a veteran of the television. He's been at it for 30, 40 years at this point. Died not long after this, actually.
0: Well, at least over a year later.
1: And he is very evocative. His personality takes up the room. He's a this very, like, vibrant character. Lots of stories have that one character everybody would want to play. Like, you know, he's kind of the King Lear of this story. Uh-huh. And he really puts his effort into that. And I appreciate that. It's cool.
0: Trevelyan tells him his story. And Holmes basically immediately is like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go. Which I like. It was very much the, like, not a moment to lose, Watson. He doesn't say that, actually. But Trevelyan finishes this story. And it's like, and he asks me to come and get you. And Holmes just gets up and gets his coat. He's not, like, waiting for anything in particular. It's like, well, I'm needed.
1: Although, later Blessing will tell him, No one has ever needed your advice more than I. No one. No man has ever needed you b- more before than me,
0: who was possibly potentially burgled of nothing. Yeah, I made it know that too. I just, it cracked me up. I actually kind of laughed when I saw it. I'm like, no one's ever needed your help more than I do. But it is a really good character beat. Like, it te- mm-hmm. kind of tells
1: you all you need to know about this person. We kind of
0: lightly skipped over this in the story. Do you have anything that you want to mention about the Russians, in quotes?
1: Almost just like those good non-Russian people doing Russian accent things. It's always kind of delightful.
0: Yeah, and I did make a note because he asked the older man, the patient that is supposedly there to see him, he asked him, Do you drink alcohol? And he says, Vodka. And I just wrote in my notes, of course the Russian drinks vodka.
1: Vodka. I see. Although we will later learn they're not really Russians, so them being stereotypically Russian is kind of subtle foreshadowing i guess
0: as soon as he has to be drank i almost would have put like down my life savings on the the next sentence he said was gonna be that he drinks vodka so they arrive at blessington's house on brook street and he basically pulls a gun on them immediately because he thinks they're imposters until Mm -hmm. percy like talks him down
1: the other two gentlemen are they what they pretend to be they are Mr. Sherlock Holmes and his friend, Dr. Watson.
0: And Holmes gets a look at some footprints on the stairs, and then basically is like, all right, well, what, do you have anything you need to tell me? And Blessington says no, and Holmes goes, all right, bye. And they're like, what are you doing? He goes, if you're going to lie to me, I'm just going to leave. Like, <laughs> and he just leaves. like He just goes home. And unfortunately,
1: he will never get anything else out of Blessington because Blessington dies that night.
0: Yeah, they receive a telegram very early in the morning from... Percy Trevelyan telling them to hurry to Brook Street. And I know, Jackson, you wanted to touch on this because uh, Holmes actually wakes Watson up very early in the morning and we get a glimpse inside Watson's bedroom.
1: And it's full of model ships that Watson apparently builds in his free time. As someone with a fondness for the age of sail and ships of this time period and design, I, it brought warmth to my heart that I shared this interest with uh, this Dr. Watson.
0: With the good doctor.
1: With the good doctor, yes. Not the one from the TV show.
0: I am a surgeon! And not the good wife, who might be a doctor. I've never seen it. She's probably not a doctor.
1: I think she's a lawyer.
0: Objection, Your
1: Honor? So Sherlock just wakes him up and Watson's like,
0: ah, it's so early in the morning. and Then they rush over. They find that Mr. Blessington has been hanged, presumably, has hanged himself in his room by a hook that normally holds a chandelier directly over the bed, which I thought was kind of funny. Like, here's a chandelier hook just right above the bed. That's where keep my chandelier hooks. They cut him down, and Holmes looks about. And there's a, there's a beat I want to touch on, because like I said, I know you want to get to Holmes's investigation. But there's a thing I noticed that I thought was going to come up, and it was a very subtle thing that they did that I really liked. And it's when Holmes kicks the stool under Blessington, it's noticeably shorter than he is. Traditionally, if it were, if they hung themselves, they'd stand on a stool and kick it out from underneath themselves. But it's like there's about half an inch between his feet and the top of the stool.
1: He'd have to be like, standing on his tiptoes before doing so, which would make it hard to kick the, the stool.
0: Exactly. And it was a thing where I thought that that was going to come up, and I I made a note because I really liked that They didn't like force that down our throats. It was just a very subtle, like he kicked it under him, and it was too short, and then they moved on about it. And I thought it was going to come up later. Holmes would then reference back to it as a sort of, y- you too could have figured this out, uh, dear dear viewer.
1: And that alludes to the somewhat slapdash nature of this crime.
0: All right, Jackson, I've held you back from this long enough. Let's, let's <laughs> talk about the, quote, spider deduction scene.
1: So Holmes has this thing he does where he'll be just examining every bit of a crime scene. But because it's Jeremy Brett and he's a very tall, slender man who wears all black and kind of moves around the room with more concern for gathering clues than for presenting himself as a human, he kind of moves like a spider. He's sort of scuttling around the room, <laughs> examining everything. And it makes me happy to watch him being so much more concerned with finding things out than with, you know, maintaining his guise as a normal human man.
0: Yeah, it's a good scene. I think, again, I think it just goes on a little bit too long. Oh, definitely. Like, the amount of it things don't... that he ends up finding, I feel like he could have done in, like, two minutes, instead of, like, six or seven. Yeah.
1: I think if they also could have put in more dialogue there, that could have helped. If we'd had, mm-hmm. if they shifted some of the dialogue of Percy explaining the house and how it all works from earlier to here, where he's saying it to the police, while Sherlock mm-hmm. in the background is looking at the mantle and the shoe prints or whatever, that could have allowed us to have two things happening at once, and it might have been nice.
0: Well, even Holmes narrating, because like he, he does all this looking, and then it kind of info dumps everything he found out. And if maybe he was like, as he was looking for footprints, was like, "Oh yes, here's three sets of footprints, and oh here's some here's a different kind of cigar ash than's over here." Like instead, it's just him kind of internally thinking all that, and then telling everybody everything that he just discovered. And if maybe if he had talked as he was doing it, it would have helped fill some of the time. But like as it is, we just watch Sherlock Holmes like crawl around and spider his way across their bedroom looking for clues quietly for. Like, five minutes.
1: One thing I do want to jump back to, I think we, I can't remember where this happened. At one point, Watson's talking about how he's not sure if the Russians were real people. Or, sorry. Sorry. Mm-hmm. if the Russians were really Russian because they've come to the doctor to get care for the older man's catalepsy but Watson mm-hmm. points out that and of course catalepsy is a very easy complaint to imitate yes I know I've done it myself <laughs> which is such a Sherlock line that not only yeah. does he already know that this might have been a grift he's done that grift at some point
0: so Holmes then in the story says that he knows that it was three men a young man an older man and then like a middle-aged man and that based on the fact that he found the remains of various cigars <laughs> Secured Blessington, it is evident to me that a consultation of some sort was held, probably in the nature of a judicial proceeding. It must have lasted for some time, but it was then that the cigars were smoked. It was there that the older man sat in the wicker chair. What they had done was seemingly held some kind of trial and then summarily executed Blessington with the rope. Mm-hmm. And he finds bolts in the fireplace, like big, thick, industrial bolts. And then he says, well, I'll be back in like... A couple hours and i could probably tell you who did it after that and then he just goes again he goes back to baker street and uh tears apart his files looking for a newspaper and at the beginning of the episode they had referenced how mrs hudson was doing her spring cleaning and then we come back to baker street and holmes has littered the entire floor chairs and everything with papers and folders looking for this and watson comes in
1: i dare say mrs hudson will be a little put out when she sees all this
0: and then i just love that like Watson's just like, what are you looking for? and Holmes tells him and he walks over to like a drawer and it's like pulls it open, takes out the folder and then hands it to it. Watson knows where everything is, and Holmes is just like frantically tearing through piles of shit
1: It's like the one place Holmes hasn't looked at this point. Yeah. And it's kinda of delightful. It's odd that
0: Watson knows Sherlock Holmes's filing system better than Holmes does. I think an argument could be made that, to an extent, time is of the essence, so he may be not panicking, but he may be agitated. It doesn't play right, really, either way, because this is, you know, the methodical, logical Sherlock Holmes, like, suddenly going into just, like, a manic episode of tearing through everything and not like, oh, yes, I recall where I put that file. I agree. I like the scene, though. Just, it made me laugh oh that i I was like this makes sense and this is really good i do like that watson knew where it was and kind of like almost like chastisingly of like you tore all of this apart and it was right here
1: and then later they leave as mrs hudson is going back into the room and we just hear her scream from outside the building which is a really great scene oh thank you mrs hudson (laughs) i must
0: run So, Holmes returns to Brook Street and informs them that Mr. Blessington, who was real name is Sutton, was part of the gang who robbed this bank, and that a person was killed in the robbing of the and then that Sutton probably turned state's witness and ratted out that guy and the whole gang, and they all got 15 years in jail, and that the newspaper he was clutching about the burglary earlier also had a story about them getting released from prison, and so he used the burglary as cover to justify putting up all these defenses and that they had come and got their revenge and then they get away and but drown
1: yeah they just
0: drown at some point it's a very lackluster ending to be honest they've changed the ending before where they catch the dudes on a train I was so sure that Percy was, like, the son of the guy who got hanged or something like that. Like, I was so sure that Percy was part of this. They set up the the pay, the doorman, basically, as complicit. So, like, so obviously he is the inside man that helped them get inside that I was like, oh, okay, no, it's Percy, and this was, like, this is a ruse. Oh, that could have been w- really good. I was sitting there waiting for the reveal to be that he was, like, the son of the guy who got hanged, or he was the young man in the trio because until they showed us the three men I was sure Percy was going to be revealed Percy was the third one
1: and they had mentioned that the page had only been recently hired so it's almost too obvious
0: like it doesn't yeah and then they couldn't find him after the crime like when Holmes and Watson are there no one can find the page I was like alright well Trevelyan could have just killed him and hid him somewhere like I don't know. Mm-hmm. I was just waiting for this reveal, and then it just never came. And that ties into the credit sequence for this episode.
1: Oh God, what's up with which that?
0: Normally, the credits of this episodes, if you haven't been watching along, are the wood cuttings from like the famous wood cuttings that were in a lot of the written editions you'll find of the Sherlock Holmes stories of like the scenes from the from the story, and they put those over the credits. And on this one we end with Holmes and Watson sitting in Baker Street, and Holmes is asking Watson what he plans to call it. What will you entitle this particular account? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know you were interested in my writing. I am always interested in your choice of titles. I thought I'd call it the Brook Street Mystery. Well, I myself would prefer the Resident Patient. And then what follows is the entire credit sequence of Holmes playing violin somewhere while Watson tries to figure out what he's going to call the the thing. Just before the clip that we played, basically Watson asks Holmes if he'll like go somewhere else for a while because he was going to he's going to write this adventure down and the and his violin is distracting him and then Holmes like leaves and keeps playing the same tune just like basically just outside the room kind of and I was so sure that as soon as Watson wrote The Resident Patient Holmes was going to stop playing violin like that was going to be the fun like, like he knew somehow this is exactly how long it'll take Watson to do what I want and no just he didn't he called The Resident Patient the episode was over whatever but it was legitimately the entire credit sequence was Watson just sitting there like trying to come up with a title for this
1: episode <laughs> Which, you know, could have been some interesting drama of the tension between Watson's creative drive and Sherlock's creative drive, except that we already know what it's going to be called because we already watched it and presumably have already read or heard of the story.
0: And I just, I thought this again with Percy, like this, this episode, this story thing, to me felt like it was building two things then it just wasn't those things. And not like, oh, like we tricked you Like, you know, uh, oh, if you've been paying attention, actually, this was the twist or whatever. It was just like, oh, this seems like an obvious build-up to this thing. Oh, it's not? Okay. And there was nothing like better in its place. There was no surprise. It was just, oh, no, I was wrong? Okay. And that happened like a few times throughout. I don't know. Maybe it's one reason I was also kind of disappointed with this one.
1: I think if you're just watching it too much and you're not trying to solve it ahead, you're probably going to have a better time. So I I don't really go in trying to solve shows. I never succeed. But yeah, I get where you coming from. It's not a particularly satisfying mystery.
0: No. And that's more what I mean. I wasn't necessarily trying to solve it. It was just Hmm. uh, engaging with the episode as it was going, like these clues, and just kind of like, I guess a little bit of playing along at home. But not necessarily like, oh I'm gonna I'm gonna solve this one for sure. I just was kind of like, oh okay, this being a savvy TV watcher, oh okay, well this seems like this is building to this and this and this, and it just didn't. And it was something else that was less interesting. <laughs> but them's the breaks at Baker Street.
1: The Baker Street breaks. The, the Baker Street. Mm-hmm. The Baker Street br break- <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> that joke not happen the uh baker street breaks good name for a band
0: there i said it all right uh i don't know if you have anything else we have some time for a few short monographs before must clash if you have anything
1: there is a bit in the story they don't say it in the episode thank the gods it's kind of just a bit of a gross thing i want to note blessington is a fat character but the story goes into detail about how the flabbiness of his corpse makes him seem unhuman which is kind of shitty yeah, uh, no, that's not great. And Like, I mean, corpses do look weird. That's that's true. I watch enough of The Order of the Good Death to know about that, but it's still, it's kind of gross, and I'm glad they didn't go into that too hard. You watch what? Ask a Mortician from The Order of the Good Death. It's a huh. really cool YouTube show. Fair enough. Link in the description.
0: I had a small monograph that I like about when they cut Blessington down. There's this very, like, somber and, I want to say, like, respectful but, like, Holmes is, like, looking around at all this stuff, and he's got, like, his bright Sherlock Holmes on the case, like, taking everything in eyes. And then he just kind of, like, nods to the inspector and then steps forward and, like, wraps his arms around Blessington and Watson and Trevelyan come forward and, they like, lift him up so that they can cut him down. And it, But it was this very nice kind of, like, soft tender moment in a way of, this is a dead person. And, like, they took that into account. Holmes kind of stopped for a second. And respectfully helped take this person down off the the noose, and I just liked it. It was it was nice,
1: and it's a good acting moment for Jeremy Brett. That. There, you know, there's no dialogue in that bit either, but there it's okay because we're focused on his face as he's working through whatever's going on in his head. I don't think I have anything else. Oh, um, a little fun scene I'll put in the clip. When Holmes asked... I don't suppose you've read my monograph on cigars and cigar
0: actually. <laughs> Whoa. Oh, the guy's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love the... At least the show's continued use of... I'm sure, you, I'm sure you've read my monograph on this and people kind of just be like, Oh, what's... Oh, what's that on my shoe? Like, just kind of politely trying not to say no. Obviously not. So if that's done, then all that's left is must clash.
1: Yes, and we have some contenders here. Um, the older Russian man has some decent sideburns. So as always, with Dr. Watson. Um, there's Inspector Lanner.
0: Who kind of has the same mustache, it's just a little bit like longer. Like, it goes more around the edge of the mouth
1: a little less kempt. Yeah. Um same for Blessington, who kind of has a Watson's mustache but a little bit more distinguished,
0: I guess. Mm-hmm. A little shorter on the sides as well.
1: And then the Russian
0: count's son. Oh, that has Peter to winner, be I'm sorry. Yeah, it has to be him.
1: If you imagine a small rabbit curled up
0: around somebody's chin
1: <laughs> with lips poking through, it's like that. It's just like it's very
0: impressive. All right. Well, which means then that the count's son in quotes, the count's son will go up against Mr Melas the current season two champion. Ooh, that's a tricky one. This is probably the toughest one we've had.
1: I mean, the Count's son has like more of a beard. It's like, it's very impressive and thick. Whereas Mr. Malos is so like curled and refined.
0: We've been doing this for a while and I forget. Musclash, is at the best facial hair or the most interesting? Hmm. I feel like Mr. Malos has the more interesting.
1: Yeah. I feel like Musclash should be like about Victorian hairstyles. And I can see the Count's son being someone you see at a bar or at an alt-right rally. Whereas, uh, uh, Mr. Melas is—it's uh, a very specific kind of Victorian era mustache. Count Son's doing pretty good, but I think Melas wins for the yeah. episode.
0: When we come to a, a, an impasse pass like this, for me, I've started trying to decide who I think would have the best chance against the King of Bohemia, and I think it's Mr. Melas.
1: All right, so Melas uh, continues his title.
0: He's going to have an inter- some interesting competition next week. I'll just say, Jackson, do you have anything to plug?
1: Yep. Um, as always, I'm half of gratuitous pausing we're on facebook twitter podbean etc um, give us a listen we do film criticism stuff
0: also i have a podcast i've like jackson just now i've talked about it at length here before so just check it out anywhere podcasts are found it's the equalizers and we spell it e-q-u-e-l-i-z-e-r-s like in sequel and we do funny movie pitches be sure next week we sit down with my sister to copy out the entire encyclopedia in the redheaded league. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Rare to meet thy go.